Welcome to Vermont Artists and Authors, where we interview great storytellers and artists from the amazing Green Mountain State. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com. We're honored to have with us the Vermont author of the highly acclaimed book, The Morse Code, Legacy of a Vermont Sports Writer, Brendan Buckley. Hello, Barney. But so, so we're here, uh, Brennan, you, you just recently published your first novel, which is a, it's basically, it's a, a biography of Dave Morse, who is a highly renowned and acclaimed Vermont sports writer from your neck of the woods out of the Hardwick Gazette, correct? Correct. He, the last 20 years of his career uh, were writing for the sports, for the as sports editor for the Hardwick Gazette, which is a weekly. Um, and it covers, you know, depending on who's grabbing and get off the newsstand in, in his day, nine, 10, or a dozen towns up in this corner of the state. Um, it's now an online paper, but in Dave's day, it was always um, a paper paper. Mm. Um, and he... He arrived here in 94. Um, he died early in 2015, but but worked almost up until his death. I think his last story was only a few weeks before he died. It, it would appear that this is a passion project of yours. Absolutely. This was burning a hole in my soul the last few years I was working. I I knew that the first day that I wasn't going to the office, I was going to be diving into Dave's life to tell his story. I, I really was just burning inside me to tell at least Vermont about this. I'm not sure if people outside of Vermont will care very much, but I really wanted Vermont to know about this guy. Right. What made you decide to you know, sit down and actually spend this time making this your, your first book is to write Right about well, Dave. Well, there's a couple of things. Um, you know, I knew Dave just because our children were growing up as he was here. So mm. he would be at their games. And and uh, and as you can tell from the book cover, he's got a striking appearance. That, that mm. mustache was a part of him all the years I knew him. <laughs> um, and I remember looking over at this figure and going, who is that? And finally wandering over one day and, and just starting a conversation with him. Um, and that continued on and off through, you know, the years that he was here. Um, so that I, I knew a, that he was just a fount of Vermont sports information. Um, mm. Dave w would just baffle people with what he remembered. Um, he would, encounter some fellow, you know, 20 years beyond his high school career. And he would remind that fellow about a game he played in the odd, you know, in 1968, or it was just remarkable. And um, so that was one piece, just that um, my love of Vermont, and he just reflected someone who was deeply steeped in one aspect of Vermont's recent history. Um, but then it, it was also known to me uh, just uh, what he was doing behind the scenes for some kids in the community, mm. uh, that he just had an eye out for 
kids who might just need a helping hand or he was just the first person there, whether it was helping with transportation, whether it was helping financially to fund a trip to a basketball summer camp, whether it was connecting a kid with a college admissions officer. He just uh, very quietly was reaching out and helping in many ways the athletes that he covered. You couldn't miss the passion in his writing. You couldn't always understand his strain of thought, but you, could, <laughs> you, you couldn't miss the passion. And, you know, sometimes as you read his articles, you really had to be on the same wavelength to know just what he was describing or where he was going. But the passion was very evident and his caring about the, the people he wrote about. The year before he died, Barney, there, the community hosted an appreciation night for Dave at, at Hazen Union High School, which is our local regional high school. And over a couple of hours, parents, coaches, other reporters, athletes, just one by one came up to the microphone with Dave seated there as guest of honor and talked to him about what he meant to them. And in retrospect, I think people felt great solace that they'd had that opportunity to thank him uh, because mm. too often in our lives, people come and go before we're able to say thank you for what they've done. And, I, and there's a link to that at, at my website, at the end of which Dave gets up and speaks for a few minutes. So you get a little taste of Dave as well. Um, but it, it, I think I've had an, a number of people who didn't know Dave look at that video and uh, it's hard to come away unmoved by how much he meant to the, the community. Right. Uh, some really moving stories were told. As you mentioned, he was more than a sports writer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, that was his role. And he was at the Gazette offices day in and day out. Um, but, you know, he he wore a Hazen Union state championship jacket that the basketball <laughs> team had given to him after one of their Victor state titles. And he very proudly wore his Hazen colors. Um, and that was hardly the only school he, he was part of, but um, that was certainly the one he was closest to. Right. Um, yeah, and you're scrolling through some pictures. The one on the left is Dave and Tim Shedd, and that's taken the night of his appreciation night. And Tim traveled from North Carolina to be there on a February wow. night. Um, and he and Dave were especially close. And on the right is Dave holding a portrait that another student athlete had done of him. Um, and that those are his Hazen. That's his Hazen championship jacket that is in the photo. Hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, I think it was a two way love affair. Um, you know, Dave grew up in Vermont Um he laughed on the on the occasion of this appreciation night in his in his few minutes of remarks. He he looked up and said, "I was born in Morrisville. Do you believe that?" Because of course, Peoples and Hazen have long rivalry. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but he grew up in Waterbury, um, so you know he knew Vermont his all his life. Uh, and and you mentioned before, like he just. It, 
so what aspects would you say for readers that might want to learn more about Vermont and see that this isn't just, this isn't just a memoir as well of just like about sports writing. As you said, he's, he kind of emulates some Vermont values. Yeah. And I really, I, I very intentionally made it a Vermont book. I, I, I wanted to, to place it here um, so that, um, three towns in particular that were important and central to Dave's life were Waterbury, where he grew up, mm. Rutland, where he was sports editor of the Rutland Herald for about a decade, and then Hardwick, where he was for 20 years. And so I, I take the time to talk about the history of those three places um, mm. and, and how they developed. Interestingly, all three, um, you know, boomed around the the arrival of the railroad and which enabled all three of them to become centers for you know marble or granite that was being quarried somewhere nearby um and um and i taught and also beyond those communities um dave had some pretty key mentors in his life um that i think that he then really very intentionally paid forward in his Hardwick years. Uh, and um, he, he came from a very hard scrabble, difficult childhood, but had some key mentors in his life that just put him on a good path. Um, I think gave him some standards and a moral code to live by. Um, and he was true to that through his life. And, um, and when he came here, uh, I think it was really important to him to to be that mentor to as many kids as he could. And, and so, what were some of the highlights? Uh, not to give away the you know the story or anything, but what are some of the highlights in that book that you are really excited for readers to learn about? Dave? Well, there there was a book that I was thought I was going to write. And there was a book that I wrote. And, okay. Um, and I, I started out thinking that I would go and talk to people of Dave's generation who knew him, um, siblings, childhood friends, work peers from earlier in his life. And they would sort of fill in the first 50 or so years of his life for me. And then I pretty much had a good handle on the last 20 plus years of his life. Um, and that would be the book. Um, and, uh, and it would allow me to just talk about this man who meant so much to our community. And what I learned very quickly, my first interview was with his sister, Deanna, uh, who lived in lived in Morrisville until she died in the last year or so. Um, she was the younger. Dave was the oldest of four, um, and I sat down with Deanna, um, and we knew each other a little bit um, from our connection to Dave over the years he'd been here. Um, was but she just said, you know, we lost Dave for a few years. Um, so that was the first surprise that, that there's a black hole in his biography that nobody could very satisfactorily fill in for me. Wow. Um, 
and and part two was that they had been separated as kids. So A, she couldn't tell me much about his childhood because she wasn't with him through a lot of it. And B, there was a whole chunk of his adulthood she couldn't tell me about because he had disappeared from friends and family for almost 20 years um, wow. in terms of really filling in you know, the chronology of his life. So immediately I was trying to piece together things that I thought were going to be gravy that were just going to be doled out for me and, and left to me just to put them in proper order. Um, and, and I, you know, I, the second interview was with a man named Tom Haley, who still writes for the Rutland Herald. Um, and he was a college student at Castleton in the days that Dave was at the Rutland Herald. He loved Dave and Dave was a great mentor to him. Um, Tom, was a, a student intern at the Herald in his years at Castleton. And, uh, and he always had a great love and respect for Dave. When I went to meet him, he said, yeah, Dave disappeared. Nobody knows what he was doing, where he was. Um, and Tom just said, all I know is that when I heard he was in Hardwick, I started doing cartwheels, but he sure. hadn't heard, he really hadn't heard anything of Dave for 20 years before he showed up in Hardwick. So that was a mystery that I, I did my best over my years of research to, to delve into, but it was clear that Dave was a very private person um, and that interview after interview, everybody seemed to know all the same little bits that, right. um, but nobody knew very much more. Right. Um, and, and uh, I mean, not to make, you know, leave this a total black box. He had married a singer, a, uh, a performer in Rutland. It was a, a woman who traveled to different venues and was kind of a lounge nightclub singer, songwriter, pianist, apparently quite talented. Um, she was a black woman from Ohio. Um, and... Dave fell in love with her. The exact timing of when they first met is unclear, but there's no denying the wedding certificate in the fall of 1973. And then in 1974, she abruptly left him. And just as abruptly, he disappeared, uh, literally overnight from the offices of the Rutland Herald, um, uh, without a word, um, and, and people saw him from time to time, but that was 1974. Um, but there's really no clear chronology until he arrives back in 1994. Um, and, and undoubtedly some of that, that the end of those 20 years, he was homeless in New York City. Um, so it clearly fallen on some hard times. It was really a resurrection in finding his way to the Hardwick Gazette, which was uh, very much uh, the result of a chance encounter at Kaplan's clothing store in Morrisville, mm. um, where Dave was working as a clerk uh, after he has returned to Vermont. And a man who had been an, a star athlete at the old Hardwick Academy, 
the predecessor to Hayes and Union, was shopping there and he recognized Dave as the journalist who had covered his Hardwick Academy years when Dave was writing for the Times Argus, which was his stop before eventually arriving at the Rutland Herald. And he said to Dave, you know, the Gazette is looking for a sports writer. You should go talk to Ross Connolly, who was the editor. Um, and Dave, you know, I don't think Dave had any thought that he was ever going to be a sports writer again. And here through this chance encounter came this opportunity to, to get back to what he really loved. So he said in his little talk to the assembled group on his appreciation night, he said, best decision I ever made in my life was coming to Hardwick, which he followed up with. And I was born in Morrisville. Can you believe that? Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, but that's, so that was sort of a thumbnail sketch of what I needed to work through to try and create a narrative and sort out as best I could what had precipitated all of the, the disappearance, where he might've been, what he mm. might've been doing, um, and then to talk about his return. Right. So you weren't expecting a mystery then when you started writing? Not at all. I really thought it was going to be laid out on a platter for me <laughs> in terms of, okay, his, his sister can tell me about his childhood. His peers who worked with him can tell me about his working life up until he came to Hardwick. And then I'll just fill in the Hardwick years and say what a wonderful man he was. So it didn't quite work out as I had planned. So there's still no idea what happened. There's still, you know, someone may read this book, Barney, and raise their hand and say, oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> you just didn't find me in your five-year search of, to track down right. his, his life story. Um, but I talked with people who knew Dave really well from his Rutland Herald years um, and, and kids. You know, he, in his years at in Hardwick, he not only helped kids fund their trips to basketball camps, he would drive them to Pennsylvania. He drove them wow. to New York City, New Jersey, wherever the basketball camp was. He would, you know, talk to the people who ran the basketball camp and say, watch this kid. He was, you know, the starting forward for the Hazen Union championship team. And, um, so they spent hours in the car with Dave and, and they couldn't, we all knew the same little bit, you know, he's, right. he would say he'd been married, um, to a black woman that they had separate careers. They went their separate ways. It didn't work out. He'd talk a little bit about some of his life in New York. So again, I have glimpses into some of the things he might've been doing, mm. but no hard concrete facts that I could really latch on to. So the title, uh, the Morse Code. What does the what does the title mean? So he he, in addition to you know covering, you know a dozen or more schools, and he wrote about you know whether you were playing t-ball when you were five or you were hmm. going to the Craftsbury Outdoor Center to try out for the Olympics. Dave was there, sort of you know from the bottom to the top of athletic performance. Dave tried to cover the story. But in addition to that, he had a column called The Morse Code mm. that he wrote each week. And it was his opportunity just to muse or to rant or 
just to tell stories that might have been outside of the realm of that week's, you know, sports news. I always wanted the book to be the Morse code, A, because of it just echoed his writing, and B, because of the, the life he lived, the, the sort of how he chose to live his life. I saw that as a, a second meaning of the Morse code. Um, and that, that, you know, when I, when I talk with the student athletes um, who were impacted by him, you know, they really have a sense of mission of carrying forward what, you know, how Dave treated them. They hope they can be that for, uh, you know, the coming generations of young athletes. When did things really start to ramp up for you to actually start putting, you know, ideas to paper? So it was really COVID, Barney, um, because okay. I was yeah. all of a sudden I couldn't get into libraries. I couldn't get into the state archives. I couldn't go and meet people face to face. So I I was stuck. This and I had started this project late in 2018. You know, so COVID was about a year and a half into my research. I just said, well, I guess I'll just start writing. You know, I know some stuff. So that's what I did. I just sat, started to tell what bits of his story I knew. And it actually, it went better than I would have predicted because I initially would have told you, no, I have to interview everybody first and get everything laid out and then I can write. But COVID sort of put me in a position of doing nothing or at least starting writing what I knew. Um, and it, and as I said, it went better than I thought. And so from that point forward, I had a narrative, I had a structure, and then I would just, when an interview did finally come along or an email came back with some stories, I would just go and fill them in where they fit best. Not only the book that I didn't realize I was going to write, but I didn't write it in the way I thought I was going to write it. And and COVID, I think, was in large part responsible that if COVID hadn't come along, I probably would have been, you know, determined to get everybody interviewed and every email returned before I ever actually sat down to write. Right. Um, so it was somewhat of, that was a silver lining of COVID for me and actually really seeing a vision and a structure for the book much earlier in the process than I thought I would. And, and so talk to us a little bit about when did you begin looking for a publisher? When did Rootstock Publishing uh, come into play? So um, I had I was lucky enough to have some wonderful people sort of believing in this project and supporting me, one of whom was Alex Wolf, who's a retired Sports Illustrated writer um, who now lives in, in the Middlebury area. Um, and he had come to Vermont during Dave's tenure at the Gazette for a while, owned minor league basketball team, you might remember, called the Vermont Frost Teams. I've read and the Frost Teams, yeah. Yeah, so they played in the Barry Auditorium. Yeah. Um, of course, if there was something going on in the sports world near Hardwick, Dave was there. Dave so was there. he, you know, he met Alex. So I actually met Alex because I went to interview him just to see what memories or stories he had of Dave. Um, and he was so engaging and so kind. So I wrote to him when I had, when I was 
felt I was pretty close to a presentable manuscript. And I just said, Alex, this is probably the email you wished would never land in your inbox. But how would you like to read what I've written so far? <laughs> and immediately he just said, absolutely, send it along. I'm not quite sure when I'll get to it, but I'm happy to. And I think within two weeks, he had it back to me, finally edited. I mean, you could just see the professional eye that he brought to it. It was just, you know, and with some lovely commentary. And so then I called him a few months later when I felt I really had polished it to the point of being able to present it and just said, what do I do now? I, I've never done this. Do I look for an agent? Do I just send it to publishing houses? And he just said, I've heard good things about Rootstock. They're right there in Montpelier. They're interested in Vermont authors. Start there. So I did and and they liked it. So, you know, the kindness of others, this is all sorts of help along the way. And so how different, as you mentioned, like for you personally, the story ended up being different than you thought, but how different is it from that first manuscript, the first draft you did? How different is it now to the end product? Not very, actually. Okay. Um, people were pretty happy with the writing and with sort of the narrative structure that I put in. Mm. They, you know, there were some fine tuning that um, an, an editor did. And then um, just back and forth about how do we lay this out and what are you going to do with chapters and what are you going to do with pictures and what are you going to do with acknowledgments and all of that. But, but I mean, there are some shades of gray that are different, but, you know, what I sent to Rootstock the first time, you're probably seeing 90 to 95% of that in the book you pick up at the store. Um, now, because you wrote about Dave Morse, you didn't, this isn't an autobiography, you wrote about somebody else. Uh, any tips and advice on somebody who's thinking about writing a memoir of somebody that they admired? Is, was there any like legal things where you had to get permission from family members or um, that stuff? Family was all in from right. the get-go. They, I mean, they, you know, loved their uncle, loved their brother, thought it was wonderful that someone wanted to tell his story. So that was never an issue. Finding old photographs like his Waterbury High School yearbook picture. Mm. You know, Waterbury High School isn't there anymore. So who can grant me permission to use this photograph? Some of, the, you know, and I was new to all of that. So um, I needed some guidance um, as to whom I called um, for permission. There was a woman... Um, as I said earlier, Marietta, the woman that Dave was briefly married to, was from Ohio. Her life ended in Maine. She married a man in Maine um, and lived with him until she died about 15 years after she left Dave. So she was still a fairly young woman. She grew up in a little town called Wyoming, Ohio, just outside of Cincinnati. But when I read her obituary, it mentioned that she had two sons. I don't have Facebook. My, my wife has Facebook. And I said, can you just throw these couple names into your, you know, search Facebook and see if somebody that with that name pops up in the Cincinnati area? And sure enough, we got a hit. <laughs> and I ended up driving out to Cincinnati to meet Marietta's grandson, not one of her sons, but one of her grandsons. Okay. Um, 
So that allowed me to fill in a little bit more of her life. And then there was a wonderful woman at the Wyoming, Ohio Historical Society who just was ready to go from the first she heard of this project to try and, you know, learn more about Marietta. Um, and she just was skilled enough in historical research that she could say, go to this website for this, go here for that. And okay. so, you know, I guess I would say if you can find a good guide, you know, who knows their way to sort of into the historical archives and, and websites to look at, that was an enormous help. Um, because, it, yeah, the a little trite to say, but the web is remarkable in terms of what you can uncover these days. Um, so yeah, a good guide is wonderful. Any, any available family to talk to is great. And I'm not sure if it's just a, a product of Vermont, but there wasn't anyone who said, no, I don't want to talk to you or um, who didn't just at the drop of a hat, welcome me into their living room, having no idea who I was or, or even having not seen Dave in decades but still willing to welcome me to their home and tell me what they remembered of Dave. It was always a little bit with my heart in my throat that I would make a phone call or go to see someone just because you worry you're going to hear some horror story. Um, right. But the, the wonder of this was that whether it was a childhood friend or an old colleague nobody had anything bad to say about Dave. Wow. I mean, the people yeah. who described him as a classmate used the same terminology that the kids here at Hazen used to describe him as a mentor. He just seemed to mm. have been a kind soul who didn't have an ax to grind and really was just, you know, happy to look out for others from early on in his life. It is it's not as of this recording it's not technically out yet it's coming out july 18th correct coming out tuesday although people who had ordered it through root, rootstock have received it in the mail oh, um, cool. okay i talked to sandy at our our local bookstore in hardwick the galaxy bookstore and her understanding was that her shipment will arrive tomorrow okay um so yeah it's almost here um and um, and then I'll be going to a few events um, in the coming weeks. Um, one in Hardwick on Tuesday. There'll be one at the Waterbury Historical Society. I'm actually supposed to go to the Mountaineers game Wednesday, this coming Wednesday night, the 19th. And Brian Gallagher, the general manager of the Vermont Mountaineers, which is a summer baseball team in Montpelier, um, were very close. And Brian really wanted to honor Dave. There's an event in Middlebury, I think, on August 1st. And there's actually going to be one in Williamstown, Massachusetts, probably later in the fall. And they're all basically probably similar to what we did this evening, telling somewhat the life of Dave and also the story of writing the book. Brandon, if people want to learn more about you or your book, where's the best place they could go to? So I think the the website, the Brendan Buckley-author.com that uh, is there courtesy of my daughter. She's the, 
the technophile. Um, <laughs> and she also helped me put together the PowerPoint that I'll use when I go to these various events. Um, so I think that's the best way or then just or come to one of the events and if there are unanswered questions, I'm certainly happy to answer questions. Or if somebody knows something about Dave that I don't know, uh, please come and share what you know with with us. So it gives you room for a sequel book then, huh? We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Brennan, and congratulations on 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 the book. Thank you, Barney. I, I it's um it's a pretty quick read. Uh, I will say that after all the work when this preliminary, you know, the ARC, they call it, the advanced reader copy arrived. I just kind of held it up and went, really? That's all? It's, After it's all 176 this... pages. It's not it's that. Not, it's not, it feels really small big, to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, at any rate, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, hopefully it's a worthy read. It's, it's a pretty quick one. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much, Brendan. Thank you, Barney. I really appreciate your having me on your show.